Santo, Espíritu Santo, Christos, Christos, para tu chevrita de Abraham, de Espíritus, de Andarabarca de Vesques. Oh Father, our eyes are on you. You are the vision that keeps us, the one that brings comfort, the one who shows us the way that we should go. You are that voice that guides us. That is why your Spirit says that as many as are led by the Spirit, these are called the sons of the living God. So, Father, we thank you for your light that shines in our hearts. For you have caused your light to shine forth. Your name is Alpha, Omega, Rambo Rodoshk. Jesus Christos, Masi Rembrada Kaset Vesosh Dovrodokoshim Brada Haita. Oh, Baratis Ebredogoskos Fotokoskis Fiende Rebartos and Drogoskis Fideta. Rehinda Bradasu Dovrokoskis Veshid Brahata Brakasket Vesente Spritosa. Let it be your spirit that speaks through us, O oh Lord. And let it be your name that is exalted. And let every scale fall from every eye. And let every heart, O oh Lord, adore you. For you have brought us out of darkness into your light. That we might shout with joy, decreeing your victory. And letting the world know that you are alive. And that you have conquered the grave forevermore. So we bless you, Father. We give you praise, Father. We honor you, Father, King of kings and Lord of lords. We bless you. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, early Our song shall rise to God, 
Arabado gozar verdinder de mesos que shir verdas atabas. Jesus Christ, the one filled with light, Jesus, the Most High, the King. Rakata se brende de gesete te na mana 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 mahada brosa. So Father, we thank you for your word that is alive. Everyone is here, O oh Lord, for that word that sustains us. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your throne. So Father, we are asking in the name of Jesus that every eye will be open, every ear will be open, every heart will be open for the planting of your seed that you, O oh Lord, might be glorified, that your revelation will come forth upon them like nothing else matters and that everyone here would walk in the confidence of your word. That is our desire, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And the people of God said... If you believe that you are here by the grace of God alone, do something to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are not doing this to your chief at home. You are not doing this to the President of the United States. You are doing this for the one who has given you redemption. The one who has brought you out of darkness into light. The one who has given you eternal life that you might stand in confidence and boldness. The King, our God. You see, we are not here because we have strength in and of ourselves. We are here because God has given us the breath of life. He has birthed us into a place of prominence. And that is his church. His church is called the Ecclesia, the called out ones. Those who stand with his oracle in their lips, decreeing his truth. That's why the, the scripture says that we will not be ashamed of that gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power that brings you into the place of redemptive life and makes you to be a spectacle to the world. And so when the principalities and the powers see you in the spiritual realm, what they are seeing is something that is glorious, something that cannot be shaken, something that is the planting of the Lord, the planting of righteousness. It is not of yourselves that you should boast, but our boast is always in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one who is risen forevermore. It is always a pleasure to recognize that what he did, he did for everyone. What he did for one, he did for all. And that is the grace that we celebrate. We will celebrate his victory. We will celebrate his light. We will celebrate his life. And that's why Paul, while he was writing, he said, always make sure that your calling is sure. Your election is sure. You have been elected in him to show forth his praises. It does not matter your age. Don't let anyone look down on your youth. And don't let anyone say, their time has passed. 
no one here is irrelevant in the sight of the Father. That's why when John was writing his apostle, his epistles, he said, I speak to you fathers. I speak to you young men. I speak to you children. The scripture is for all. And once you submit your hearts to the scriptures, once you submit your hearts to the word of God, you see his increase ever making you to be fulfilled. It is only the word of God that fulfills. Only the word of God that fulfills. Um, I bring to you blessings from the Lord. And I honor each and every one of us today in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Um, we are all here by grace and by grace alone. Um, as some of you are aware, the person that was sitting down there was not the, past, the senior pastor of the church. Our senior pastor is in Lynchburg doing official business. So please, after the service, do your best, reach out to him, tell him how much you missed him, how much you missed his ministry, and how, you, how much you missed his worship voice. Because he kind of likes that. <laughs> Um, but um, I honor the leadership of this church. Um, I honor our, our elders. I honor you all. And uh, my brothers and my sisters, just turn to yourselves and say, I see the glory of God over you. I see the life and the light of God over you. You see, you have to acknowledge what God has said. It doesn't matter how you look to yourself in your eyes. Even if you think you are wise, the Bible says, do not be wise in your own eyes. The beauty is not of your own self-beauty. It is the beauty that Christ has given to you freely. You see, there is a fragrance that is upon you that cannot be contested. That is what we see when we, as the members of the church, come together. We, there is a fragrance, and that fragrance is a fragrance of love, of life, of light. Come on, tell them, I see the love, light, and life of God upon you. It doesn't matter if you were angry at me yesterday. It doesn't matter if I saw you fighting on the streets. I still see the love of God over you. It doesn't matter if I saw you swearing or cursing. I see the love of God upon you. It doesn't matter what has happened. It doesn't. Because what the Lord does... Is he always brings us out of that place and calls us higher and says, this is what I believe you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. I see in you the victory that I have already obtained on the cross. It is left to us to submit to that victory and to yield to that victory. Amen? Um, as some of us are aware, this is the year of true praise and um, we are going to be starting a new series, Created to Praise. Someone turn to your neighbor and say, Created to Praise. Say, I am created to praise. But the topic that we'll be talking on today is redeemed to praise. Someone say, I am redeemed to praise. So I'm going to quickly, very quickly, um, go to Isaiah chapter 43 from verses 1 to 2. Isaiah chapter 43, 
from verses 1 to 2. Now, this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. Say, the Lord has called me by his name. You are mine. Say, I am the Lord's. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire. And the flame will not burn you. Amen. Amen. Redeemed to praise. Now, there's something that we have to understand about praise, true praise. True praise comes from a heart of gratitude. When you are extremely grateful for what something has, for what someone has done to you, or for something that has been done, you, what erupts out of you is praise. What erupts out of you is that thankfulness that something has been done. So it is not just something that you say out of the blue. But there is a recognition that something is worthy of that praise, worthy of that thanks. And so it comes from that heart of gratitude. And it reflects what has been accomplished by that person. It reflects that, oh, something has been done. Ah, this person has done a very good job. I honor you. I honor you. I thank you. I appreciate you. So it must be built on the foundation of an accomplishment or an attribute of a person. It must be built on the foundation of an accomplishment. Something must have been done worthy of praise. Something must have been accomplished worthy of praise. Or the person must exude some sort of character that shows praise, that is honorable, that is worthy of any form of gratitude. So there must have been an accomplishment and there must be an attribute displayed by that person. And you see, our redemption in Christ, for us, the believers, is the foundation of our praise. Why? Because it is based on what he has accomplished. And that is why we are grateful. The Lord has accomplished a very great feat. And we will be discussing some of those things that we have been redeemed from, that he has redeemed us from. And this is the foundation of why we come before his presence, being thankful. So when we jump, and when we shout, and when we sing, it is not because we are crazy. It is not because we have got religion. No, it is because there is something that he has done, that he has opened our eyes to see. And there is something that just bubbles within us, and that is praise. It is praise. And so when you see people dancing, when you see people doing the two-step, it is because God has performed something powerful. And that is why we give him praise. For the old ones here. Yeah. So what does redemption mean? According to Strong's Dictionary, to redeem means to act as a kinsman. To act as a kinsman or a family member or someone that is closely related to you. And when you act as a kinsman, you do the part of a kinsman. For example, for those that come from Africa here, most of the time, when you are the family head, usually coming for the firstborns, there is a responsibility that has been placed over your life by birthright. 
you are responsible for your siblings. Why? Because you are the firstborn. So you make sure that the family is in order based on that responsibility. Now, for the Jews, when they say, I want the portion of the firstborn, now, the portion of the firstborn was always a double portion. What does that mean? In fact, that was what Elijah, Elisha was asking for from Elijah. Now, the double portion was always the portion for the firstborn. What did that mean? It means, let's say there were two people in the family. Two people in the family. Now, the father was going to be dividing the inheritance. What does the father do? He divides that inheritance into three portions. And then he gives the elder two portions and then gives the younger one one portion. Why? The elder is getting the double portion because the elder will always have more responsibility. If the younger needed help, it is the elder that would assume the responsibility, which is the reason why he gets double portion. And so when Elijah was asking, I want double portion, Elisha was asking, I want double portion. What he was asking for was, I want to be the one who would have responsibility over the prophets. Remember, there were a group of people called the sons of the prophets. The sons of the prophets. So what that meant was, Elisha was going to be the one who would take care of the sons of the prophets. Which was the reason why when Elijah was about to be taken, you'd see Elisha following him, following Elijah. And then the sons of the prophets will be telling him, do you know that he is going? Do you know that he is going? He'll be saying, I know, I know. But the moment Elijah left and he received the double portion, the sons of the prophet came to him and said, we recognize that that spirit of Elijah is upon Elisha. Of the double portion. But that is the job of the kinsman. Now, when we see Christ, we see that he, when he came here, he announced himself as our kinsman. He announced himself as the one who would be close to us as a brother. How did he announce himself as a kinsman? You see that anytime he was doing a miracle or teaching the Pharisees or the Sadducees, he would go around saying... The son of man is here. The son of man uh, destroyed this temple. The son of man is able to raise it up. He was always calling himself the son of man. Though he was the incarnate God. He was God in the flesh. But he called himself the son of man. Making us realize that he was identifying with us. He had come to take our place in identification. Now if we open to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. From verses 14 to 15. Hebrews chapter 2 from verses 14 to 15. You see here, he says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, he also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one, holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. He came as one. Who had flesh and blood to identify, to show that he was a kinsman. But he was going to be playing the part of the kinsman redeemer. The act of redemption can be through the payment of a price. And the result of that payment is deliverance from what was previously owed. 
the act of redemption could be through the payment of a price. And the result is the deliverance from all that was previously owed. But in this case, Christ did not just pay the price. He did not just pay the price, but he was the price that was paid. He did not just pay the price, but he was the price that was paid. Hebrews chapter 9 from verses 24 to 26. Hebrews chapter 9 from verses 24 to 26. And it says, For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven himself, that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times, as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. And verse 26, where our emphasis is. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now, he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. So, he came as the payment, as the ransom, as the price that we all will not have to test the same thing. He came as a payment that we will not have to taste the fear of death. That we will not have to taste death in itself. So what have we been redeemed from? We have been redeemed from death and the fear of death. We have been redeemed from death and the fear of death. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. And he says, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So what we see here is that Jesus went to taste death so that you will not taste death. In fact, this scripture is an answer to an inquiry that David was making. Let's open to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8 from verses 4 to 5. Psalm chapter 8 from verses 4 to 5. David was asking, what is man that you remember him? The son of man that you look after him. You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. But then you see in Hebrews chapter chapter 2 verse 9. The answer to that inquiry, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, it says, but we do see Jesus made little lower than angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone, crowned with that same glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Now, you see, there were two different translations, but the words used were the exact same in the Hebrew and in the, in, in, in the, in the Greek. In other Bibles, you'd see um, the Psalms say, made a little lower than angels. It's all translation problem. But exact same scripture with the exact same answer. Telling you that the only reason why Jesus came a little lower than angels was so that that payment might be made. That he might taste death. That he might taste death. And the honor that he received was because he overcame death. He overcame death. And that was for you. That was for me. Such a glorious God. That should give you joy. That should give you excitement. That you don't have to face 
the brutality of death. Remember, the true definition of death is separation from God. We no longer have to taste that because we have been redeemed from it. We've been redeemed from being aliens of God. Now, we are in an association that can never be broken. Where God is, that is where you are. He said that he has raised us up with him and seated us up in the heavenly realms with him, far above every principalities and power. In other words, you can never be separate from him. Wherever God is, that is where you are. Wherever you are, that is where God is. You are so filled with him. But all that is required is for us to consistently recognize that that is the truth. So we have been delivered from death and the fear of death. We've been redeemed from it. The second thing that we've been redeemed from, we've been redeemed from slavery to sin. We've been redeemed from slavery to sin. Let's open to Romans chapter 6 from verses 6 to 11. Romans chapter 6 from verses 6 to 11. And it says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. So in verse 6, we see, we see here that our old man was crucified with him. It is something that has been done. It's been signed, sealed, and delivered. You have been crucified. You, you were crucified with him. When he was crucified, you were crucified. And verse 6 still tells us that we are no longer slaves of sin because of his very act. Because of that act of crucifixion. Verse 7, you see here, it says, Since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. So whoever has died is free from sin. Free from the claim of sin. Free from everything owed by sin. And then if you go to verse 11, it says, So you two consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What he's saying there, when, when he says consider yourselves, he's saying reckon yourselves. See yourselves. Take into account yourselves that you are dead to sin. If you are in Christ, you are dead to sin. Sin no longer has a hold on you. And what that also means is that you should reckon and take into account that you are alive to God in Christ. Anywhere you turn, all you see is life. If anyone takes a substance from your body, all they'll see is life. Why? Because that is what the scripture says and that is what he died for. That you might be taken out of the dominion of darkness into the place of light. Into the, into the, into the dominion of power, of authority, of truth. Brothers and sisters, this thing is not, it's not a joke. It's not a, it's not a game. This is truth. You know, For those of us that are married here, anytime you are looking for something, you are looking for something, and your spouse tells you, this is where it is. How many of you trust it? Immediately, you believe what your spouse is saying. Why? Because they said, this is where it is. And you believe that they are rational thinking people. Why is it that when God says a thing, We question 
say, can that be real? We have more faith in our spouses than we have in what God has said. No. You see, the church, the church, if you are born again, you have more faith than you ever realized. Than I ever realized. Why? Because faith is what brought us into the kingdom in the first place. It is the seed that birthed us. So you have faith. You have to recognize it. You have faith. You have faith. All you have to do is take the word as it is and work and run with it. And we'll consistently see the victory that Christ has done. He has set us. All we have to do is reckon, reckon. Agree with the word. Agree that you are dead to sin. Stop being conscious of it. Stop looking at sin as something that is a big mountain. You are already dead to it. Stop struggling. You are already dead to it. Stop trying to attain it. You are already dead to it. He didn't say attain. He said reckon. In other words, agree with the truth. Agree with the truth. Reckon yourself dead to sin. Because I found out that most problems for every believer is a struggle with sin. And so we keep struggling with sin. But sin is not a problem. Why? Because he has destroyed the power of sin. He has. It's either that or we don't believe it. But we are children of God, birthed out of faith. So I know we believe it. So just agree with it. Agree that you are alive unto God. And in you, there is no darkness. In you is life. Why? Because in him is life. And he dwells in you. He dwells in me. All we have to do is reckon. Agree. Take it into account. Let the word of God stand as the truth. As the pillar of truth. And agree with it. Thirdly, we have been redeemed from the law. Someone say, I have been redeemed from the law. Let's look at Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And we'll be taking a look at from uh, uh, verse 1 to 6. Verses 1 to 6. It says, since I am speaking to those who understand law, brothers. So Paul was saying, I'm speaking to people who know the law. Who are associated with law. And in some respects. I strongly believe who like the law. He says, are you unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives? In other words, if a man is on the streets in his car, the law only has authority over him as long as he's alive to drive his car. If he's chilling in the beyond, no one can force him to say he has to move at 45 miles per hour. Why? Because he's no longer here. He says, the law has authority over someone as long as he lives. For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she gives herself to another man while her husband is alive, 
she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then if she gives herself to another man, she is not an adulteress. So Paul is just using that as an example. Now let us go on to verse 4. He says, therefore, my brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law. You see, he said initially that we're put to death to sin. Now, he's saying that we have been put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah so that you may belong to another. So what he's saying here is if you are trying to do law and Christianity, you are liking to someone committing adultery, trying to do two things at the same time. That is why he said, you do not patch an old garment with a new garment. Why? Because when, over time, when weathering occurs, one would tear off the other. He says, you do not pour new wine into old wine skin. Why? Because after some time, the wine skin will burst. So he's saying here that you have been crucified, cut off, dead to the law, that you might stick with Christ. That you might stick with Christ. My brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. That we may bear fruit unto God. So you are seeing here that it is only when you stick to Christ you bear fruit. It is only when you are joined to him you are empowered to honor him. He says, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions operated through the law in every part of us and bore fruit to death. Did you see that? He says, the law is what energized sin. So when you keep holding on to the law, you are energized. To say, why? Why? You see, later on, Paul says that the law is holy. And we have to keep saying that the law is holy. But it did not give the person who honored it, the ability to obey it. And so, what it did was it kept making you see your inabilities. It kept making you see what you could not do. It kept making you see sin. And the more you are looking at sin, the more you keep obeying sin. Why? Whatever you are conscious of, you connect to. For consciousness creates connectivity. I always say this, always focus on Christ. Why? Because he is the solution for sin. He is the one who enables you to give you power. He is the one who gives resources and the enabling power to walk in holiness, in purity, and righteousness. Holiness is not something that you do, that you boast of. Holiness is the boast of the ability of Christ. And so we will keep boasting of him and his ability. But now, we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. You see that? It is the enabling power of the spirit of God energizing you to honor Christ and to honor him and to bear fruit unto him. Redeemed from the law. Aren't you glad that you don't have to hold the law? All you have to do is recognize that the Spirit of God is leading you. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are called the sons of the living God. It is no longer you trying to obey a commandment. It is the working of Christ on the inside. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It is the Spirit of God that is at work in us. The spirit of righteousness. The spirit of God. 
the spirit of Christ. We've been redeemed from the law. Finally, we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Because the law was one thing. And many people always look at the blessings that are in the law. But you see something? Also attached to the law was curses. The law had blessings for those who obeyed. And you see that in Deuteronomy 28 from verses 1 to 14. And always, that's what we usually hear. The Lord shall bless you. He shall bless your bread and your water. He said, he shall bless you when you go in. He shall bless you when you come out. But he shall bless your fields. Thank you, sir. What else? Well, it's in 1 to 14. Deuteronomy chapter 28 from verses 1 to 14. 14 verses. 14 verses of blessings. But when you get to verse 15, and you start to see the curses attached to the same law, he says, but if you do not obey the Lord, your God, by carefully following all his commandments and statutes I am giving you today, which is the law, all these curses will come and overtake you. That is the law. <laughs> it has blessings. But if you break it, it has causes. And the causes, I told you, 1 to 14 is blessings. The causes are from 15, verse 15 to 68. <laughs> let's, 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 let's read verse 16. Let's just see part of it. It says, you will be caught. <laughs> Let's look at verse 17. I'm not going to read it. <laughs> Let's look at verse 18. Let's look at verse 19. It keeps going on and on and on. Confusion. Sickness. Disease. Poverty. It keeps going on and on and on. But you have to recognize that though it looks as if it is something that the Lord is doing, it's not an active, theologians agree that in the curses, it's not an active, the Lord is going to curse you and destroy you. No, it is a permissive thing where because you have gone away from his covering, you are putting yourself in that situation where all those things overwhelm you. So it is permissive. Why? Because you willingly went away from the commandment. But it is very important that we look and see that all this, the Lord has delivered us. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through him. Isn't that something worth rejoicing? You don't have to contend with how many verses of courses? 68 minus 15. 53. Thank you. 53 verses. Why? Because Christ saw that it was important for you to just live in the blessing. 
He delivered you from the stress, from the payment of all that wickedness that you might walk in the freedom that he alone gives. Friends, this is the foundation of our rejoicing. The fact that we are free from sin, free from slavery to sin, free from slavery to fear, free from death, free from all those things that we once looked at as things that were, were, were adversaries. The Lord has stripped them off. How did he redeem us? He identified with us in our humanity when he took on flesh. And we could read Isaiah chapter 53 from verses 3 to 5. Um, I'll just like to read that quickly. Isaiah chapter 53 from verses 3 to 5. It says, he was despised and rejected of men because of us. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He only knew sickness because he took our sickness. He says, he was like one people turned away from. In other words, when people saw him, no, they despised him. So when people say, you are beautiful, no. People saw him, they despised him. They said, he was despised and we didn't value him. Yet, he himself bore our sickness, sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. In other words, because of that sacrifice, it was an offering to bring forth many brothers unto redemption. Many brothers and sisters unto salvation. Many people unto freedom. That was why he endured the cross. He suffered the shame. He was pierced because of our transgressions. Crushed because of our iniquities. Punished for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. All this because he wanted to see you free. He wanted to see you free. He wanted to see you free. He wanted to see us jump and sing and shout and praise with freedom. Without any shackles on our feet. He wanted to see us rejoicing in the freedom of the Father. He wanted to reveal the salvation and the reflection of who the Father is. Salvation for you and I. Salvation for you and I. Colossians chapter 2 from verses 13 to 15. Colossians chapter 2 from verses 13 to 15. It says, and when you were dead in trespasses and in the circumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave all your trespasses. The moment you came to him, the moment you surrendered to him, he forgave you. You don't have to carry the baggage of the past. You don't have to carry the pain of the past. You don't have to. Why? Because he has forgiven you. Yes, you might have hurt people. You might have done something wrong. You might have made mistakes. But he has forgiven you. He didn't say he forgave some. He said he forgave all our trespasses. He liberated you from everything that you owed. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. Everything that contended with you and I, he erased it. He erased it and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Oh, that cross. The cross that brings freedom. He said he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. You see, you are not content. You see, the person that you think is a strong man, which is the devil, look. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and did what? 
the person we are always spending time praying about, what did he do to that person? He disgraced him. He didn't say in secret. He disgraced them. The devil is defeated. He disgraced. When you see some, it's one thing for you to disgrace. He says he disarmed him. In other words, he's paralyzed when he looks at the church. He has no power over the church. He has nothing on you. He cannot touch your home. He cannot touch your finances. He cannot touch your children. He cannot touch you. He cannot touch your body. Why? He has been disarmed. He has no power. When it comes to the church, he has no power. Now, if if you've not given your life to Christ, please, be careful what you say. But if you have, he has no power. You are in a place that is called don't touch. You are in a place where nothing, no weapon fashioned against you can prosper. Wherever you go and he is at war with anyone, that place becomes a demilitarized zone. No war. Why? Because you are the carrier of holiness, of purity, of peace. says, and he disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. What is that thing that has been defeated? See, this is what enables us to keep praising the Lord. He redeemed us. And now that we are redeemed, we are free to praise. That's why there's a song that says, I'm free free to lift my hands, free to say amen. Because of his love, we are free. You are free. We are free. Because of his mercy. Because of his love. See, Titus 2 verse 14 says this. Titus 2 verse 14. He says, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a special people. Look at your neighbor and say, you are special. He he got to do good works. So he didn't just redeem us and leave us alone, but he enabled us to do good works. So we are redeemed unto good works. We are redeemed unto good works. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. It is an enabling. It's a position where he's saying, come out of that place where at one time you were in union with the enemy, in union with darkness, in union with wickedness. But now you are in union with light. You are in union with holiness. You are in union with truth so that you might show forth his praises and glorify his name. It is only when you walk in the truth of this that you give him glory. When you assume this position and acknowledge what he has done, his victory, that is when you actually proclaim his greatness. When you keep saying all that he has done, his redemptive work in your life, in my life, we're actually showing him that we appreciate everything that he has done. See, the church can never be defeated. It says, upon this truth, Shall the church be built? And the gates of hell can never, it's not possible. That's what he said. The gates of hell 
cannot prevail against it. Why? His light shines in the darkness and darkness cannot prevail against it. Let us rise up on our feet.